Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 8 of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. I'm Ryan Wolt, and this is the show where I bring you stories of coffee professionals, entrepreneurship, and coffee education. Today, I'm joined by Hollis Swan. He's the founder and lead roaster of Declination Roasting Company in Soldotna, Alaska. He's also the founder of Declination Studios, and an artist, and an art teacher, and a welder, and a coffee roaster builder, and a fisherman. He does a lot of things. Hollis is further north and west than any guest I've spoken to yet. Someday, I hope to make the 3,600-mile drive, that includes multiple country border crossings, to explore the Kenai Peninsula. But for the purposes of this podcast, I want to point out that I reached out to Hollis after stumbling on his Instagram account. I had no idea at the time that he was connected to Southern California in any way, nor that we were linked by only one degree of separation. More on that will be forthcoming. During our recording session, which was a few weeks ago, I kept finding myself being very aware of how amazing it was that two strangers could get together for a cup of coffee over a video chat, and it would feel completely normal. The technology of our time and the speed at which we've all adapted to it is truly amazing. Right now, you and I are even connecting through this podcast, albeit in an abstract sort of way. To help strengthen that connection, I'll try to paint you a little bit of a picture. In a moment, I'll be in the kitchen pouring myself a cup of coffee from a stainless steel French press. It'll fill a truly lovely handmade ceramic vessel of glazed browns and purples without a handle. Hollis kindly shipped the cup down to me after we chatted, along with a few coffees to try. Then I'll sit on the front porch steps looking out at the bank parking lot over the fence, a beast of a brown Labrador pointer mix named Mick, sitting like a human on the step next to me. I'm obligated to tell you to head to roastwestcoast.com if you want to see that cup or subscribe to the Roast West Coast Coffee Newsletter. It's free, but you can also pay for a monthly subscription or just buy us a cup of coffee there, if you've been appreciating this content. Thanks for all your support. It's what drives this show further and further into being a real professional program, which I think is the goal. It is the Pinocchio story of podcasts. Right now, make sure you've got a full cup of coffee to enjoy, because it is time for this week's Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast interview with Hollis Swan, founder and lead roaster at Declination Roasting Company. Uh, I appreciate you taking some time to uh, hang out with me today. Welcome to the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. If you wouldn't mind for the tape here, if you could state your name, uh, what you think your job title is, and maybe what your favorite outdoor activity is. Uh, my name is Hollis Swan. I am the owner and lead roaster for Declination Roasting Company uh, up in Soldotna, Alaska. And man, favorite outdoor activity, just being outside. Doesn't really matter what I'm doing, just as long as I'm moving. And I've, I'm sorry, I have to do this stereotypical, horrible thing. I'm in California. I'm freezing. It's like 70 <laughs> degrees today, 68. I did check your weather, and it's a little bit colder there today. But I, I wanted to say it kind of gave me motivation to say tonight I'm gonna make some hot coffee or hot hot chocolate and just kind of reimagine what my growing up was like in the in the in the north woods of Wisconsin. Do it. I think it warmed up to around 15, 20 today. So that's oh, like nice. Not, yeah, super nice. 
I got a text this morning from home. It was negative 19 at my mom's this morning. And I just, I do not miss that at all. Yep. That's been our, that's been our winner. Negative 10, negative 20, <laughs> not fun. But it is what it is. It is what it is. And it's, um, I love the winter. I think the key is mentally having things to do, being willing to go outside. And there's a difference in being prepared too. You know, Absolutely. as I got older and started investing in real equipment, like, a nice coat and nice boots and all those things. And it made it a lot easier. I want to learn a little bit about you uh, before we get too far off the rails. And in particular, you you have a company that the reason I reached out to you, Declination Coffee uh, Roasters, coffee company. Before that, did you have kind of an experience with coffee that made you think this is something I'm interested in learning more about or interested in pursuing? Yeah, absolutely. I actually... Spent about 12 years living down in San Diego. So grew up here in Alaska, took off running like any 18-year-old that grows up here and bounced around a little bit, but found a home in San Diego. And man, I was there a couple of years and going to school, going to art school and working for UPS, couldn't make quite enough money. So just applied for a random, random coffee roasting job and got hired, got put to work instantly. Not so much I loved coffee, it was just more of an interest. And during that first year, I was just a production roaster. Didn't learn a whole lot, just pushing buttons, going through the motions. But during that time frame, somebody found out I knew how to weld in that company. So I started building things and we put together a new civets roaster. And from there, the word kind of got out and I got hired on by Renegade Roasters. Uh, building and manufacturing roasters, and then we would go out and do maintenance. Um, and that's really where my coffee education came from. And I just wanted to be on the record. I did not know that you had any San Diego connection when I reached out to you. Not <laughs> awesome. at all. When I was scrolling through your Instagram, I saw a photo of a renegade roaster that you had worked on that's in Hawaii now. And I had interviewed the uh, the team at Renegade last season. Mm-hmm maybe two seasons ago. And I had seen pictures of that roaster before I, I knew what that was. So that's just a weird coincidence that we reached all the way to Alaska and we ended up with someone who's connected here to San Diego. We think this world is, is so big, but man, it's so small. Yeah, that is very true. A lot of industries, uh, coffee and, and beer, and there's a lot of overlap, but you, you always know someone who knows someone somehow. And I find that to be true every time I do another one of these interviews. So you are at Renegade working and you're obviously not there now. What made you decide to head back to Alaska? There was some in between leaving Renegade and coming to Alaska. Um, I got an opportunity to move overseas over to Europe and see what that was like. So I took that opportunity and left Renegade. Um, not very easily. <laughs> uh, that was a, that was a fun job, enjoyed what I was doing, but again, couldn't pass that up. Uh, learned quickly. I needed to come back and finish school. So I actually, I went back to San Diego and went back to school and then got a job working in the art department in North County, San Diego at a, at a college. So did that for eight years or so, um, and then one day woke up and decided I need to move, move home. Uh, life priority changes, needed to be around family. Uh, moved back home, got a fishing job, 
did that for a little while, saving money to uh, buy a roaster. Called my old boss, Boyd, and said, hey, Boyd, can I, can I buy one of your roasters? And he's like, absolutely not. You can just make your own. I don't have time to build yours. So I uh, started working on a 15-kilo Renegade. Um, it's still in the works. It was taking a while, bouncing from San Diego to Alaska back and forth. Um, and during that time frame, a roaster that I actually built while I was there came up on market. Um, so I grabbed that and right now I'm roasting on a five kilo. Um, still building that 15, it'll get done eventually. Um, so that's where, where we sit right now, which is actually like the, the sibling roaster to the roaster you, you saw in, uh, in Hawaii. I visited that roaster last year and man, it was really cool seeing the exact replica of my roaster somewhere else brought back a lot of good memories so did you you said you were fishing did you go back to alaska the idea to be close to family and i've been through this once as well where my wife and i moved to be closer to family and we still we struggle with that now we're very far away from our both of our families but we didn't really have a plan for what we were going to do once we got there did you go back with the priority being family family first with a plan or did you go back and say, I'm just going to see where the world takes me? All of the above. <laughs> um, family is always <laughs> first to me, uh, always has been, but I also know you have to take care of yourself. So starting a roasting company was always on my mind. How to do it, I had no clue. Fishing was the easy way for me to still be outside, do something that I knew I loved to do and save a little bit of money to buy a roaster. And I'm going to plead a little bit of ignorance when we say a fishing job. Are we talking about like the ships we see on like the Discovery Channel television shows? Are we talking about guiding? What What is the level there? Yes. Yeah, so I was actually commercial fishing. I spent a summer set netting. So basically you throw a line out from the shore, go out and check it and pull the fish in and then sell that. Did that for a year and then got hired on a fishing tender which is basically one of those big boats that take all the fish and take it back to the cannery. So I did that for a year. It's a big jump from the art department. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> it's connected. So once again, I got hired on that boat because I had a skill of welding. Um, I got hired on for Renegade because of that skill of welding, which I learned in art school. So it's this big full circle. I don't think in the brochure uh, for art school, and I went to design school, it, it says like, hey, learn to weld and you'll end up working on a fishing boat and eventually being an entrepreneur. So while you're doing that, you're thinking about a coffee roaster. It's there in the back of your mind. What was that tipping point that you said, okay, I'm ready to, to start moving forward on this? And was it always the idea of opening your own roaster or was there another plan in place at any point? Pretty much just the idea of doing what you want to do. Watching so many people fumble through life, having these careers where it's just to make money. That's never been me. It's why I was, it's why I got into the arts in the first place. If it's not moving you and there's not purpose there, then I'm kind of like, why do it? So it was really, really easy to save up that money and get help from family to be able to start this and move in that direction. And you're located in, you mentioned Soldatna, Alaska. Uh, mm -hmm. I did look up how to pronounce that because I wanted to make sure I, I had it right. 
it's a relatively small community of about 5,000 people, give or take, I think. Yeah, five, six. We're next to another town with six, seven thousand. Um, our whole peninsula, I think we're maybe around 70,000, give or take. So yeah, there's not a lot of people here. Uh, summertime can triple, quadruple in number. Uh, we have one of the biggest uh, king salmon fisheries, sockeye salmon, that come through the Kenai River. So very big tourist spot. Was there a coffee community there prior? Are you joining a community or are you kind of on the forefront of a new community? We have coffee kiosks on every corner. It's pretty amazing. But as far as roasters in our town, there was maybe one, maybe two, but low key. Uh, We have some bigger roasters up in Anchorage. Uh, Roasting community, I kind of feel a small coffee community is huge and Alaskans love their coffee. They like their coffee and they like their ice cream and their beer, of course. Any, are there any regional coffee uh, trends or coffee favorites that might not be familiar? We might not be familiar with down South. People like it dark here, that heavy, heavy roast. So makes my job a little easy. I go in a little different direction from my philosophy of how I roast and how I taste. Sometimes good for business, a lot of education, which I love. Um, retraining, reteaching, uh, just putting a different product in front of people and say, hey, you can still like what you like, but try this too and see where it goes. Just so everyone, uh, li- anyone listening um, can kind of envision this, is it just a roastery or is there a storefront type cafe? What is, what's the setup that you guys have going on up there? Right now, it's just a roastery. Um, I am only open four hours a week, and I hesitate on those four hours a week. I love my warehouse space. That doesn't mean people aren't here when when I'm here. Uh, People are always coming and going. Some days I want it to be a full retail store. Sometimes I don't. So we've got so many other things happening. How are you getting the coffee out to the people then? I have small markets around town that I sell to. Uh, We do online service. You can come and pick it up here. So that's that four hours a week that we kind of be like, okay, I'm going to be here. Come and grab your coffee. (laughs) We just launched a home delivery service. So I actually will deliver once a month by bike all around our community, slowly expanding to the other communities. So basically like a milkman service, drop it off on your doorstep. Um, And then it gets me outside too. Are you also, are you doing that biking through the winter as well with like a fat tire bike? Absolutely. I have have a fat tire bike and then I've got a little cart that I pull behind me. So once again, weather is just an excuse. If it snows too much, we just slow down a little bit. Oh man, you are making me feel terrible. I used to do that. Uh, I used to ride my bike with my cart to pick up my groceries. And now I feel like I'm I'm too lazy to do it because it's too cold. I'm going to have to get the cart out again this week. (laughs) Do it. (laughs) <laughs> the outdoors are very very clearly important to you. Just looking at your branding and your social media stuff, there's as many pictures of the outdoors as there are of coffee things. How do you kind of fuse coffee and the outdoors together? Obviously, you just mentioned the biking and, and dropping off. That's one way you do it. But is there kind of a mission statement that you're using for the brand as your, kind of your personal North Star? Absolutely. So coffee, in a sense, isn't, to me, isn't just about the taste. 
Um, there's so many other things. It's about experience. It's about doing other things. It's kind of like a starting point. And I go back to with what drives me and the outdoor drives me. So we are this, this starting point to get people to go out and have fun and find what it is that drives them. It's easy outside. So that's, that's kind of where we come from and what we do. Uh, which goes back to the name Declination. That was something where as I was starting the company, like, okay, we, I know it's going to be about the outdoors, but Declination, so the definition of Declination is the angle difference between mag magnetic north and true north. So for instance, say you're outside and you're holding a compass. If you just set that up to north, you also have to set the declination angle wherever you are in the world, or you will wander the wrong direction. It varies, and it varies from year to year. So again, it's we wanted to be that starting point for people. And when we're getting ready to go outside, we're usually sitting around staring at a map uh, with a cup of coffee in our hand, used to have a beer in our hand, and that was our starting point. So it's like, okay, how can we be other people's starting points? So we really take that in. And when I'm doing uh, markets, so I also do different events, um, get coffee out that way. Started this trend where people will come in and ask trail conditions. And a lot of tours, like, where should I go? I'd be like, well, I grew up here. If I can't figure out a good place right now, I can ask a friend and be like, yeah, trail conditions over here are great. And we roll little bit like that. That's really interesting. I was going to ask about the name declination. This might just be uh, maybe a romantic side of me, but I'm also imagining that as you're wherever you are and you're looking, you're, you've got your, your compass set up towards uh, true north and then also magnetic north. It's also kind of giving you like these latitude, or not, not latitude, longitude, but it's giving you these lines, these directions where you could think you're going towards one thing, but you have you could have an entirely different uh, destination in the end, which is kind of your story altogether, right? Absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. If you're looking at a map and a compass, there's definitely a right ending point and a wrong ending point. Correct. But in Correct. life, maybe not so much. <laughs> Based uh, where you are, I'm wondering about kind of the benefits and challenges you faced uh, being so far north along the coast, and especially over the last year, year and a half during COVID. I know the news here is constantly where I am is always about supply chain logistics. I would imagine you're already dealing with supply chain logistics, not necessarily being further south along the coast in a major port. Anchorage is a major port, but it's still difficult to get up there for people, right? And that might be ignorance on my part. I apologize if so. But I'm wondering just what that last year and a half has been like and, and how you adapt that into your business. Logistics being up here is basically time. So in a sense, it just takes longer for things to get up here. Um, it is a little more expensive. You kind of just have to wait and deal with that. Um, once again, I think people kind of move a little bit too fast. Um, we forget this thing called patience. Being up here, it's like, okay, we have to wait a little bit. We don't really have a choice. I don't personally have a problem with that. I kind of like that. COVID was almost a benefit for the company and we had to really stop and say, what do we want? Redirection and say, okay, 
I can't be in front of people, so let's start more of the online. Let's start more of this delivery service. Let's do all of these things that I really wanted to do but wasn't able to do while getting creative. It opened up that space to get creative. So as we progress now, it's can we stay with that creativeness um, rather than falling back into a norm or into whatever is comfortable. Uh, So just keep pushing those boundaries, always kind of being on our toes. Once again, I think that that uneasiness can be a good thing if you just sit with it. There's an interesting parallel in that coffee is for many a kind of break in the morning or a a restart uh, to the day. Absolutely. And it sounds like you've been going through that as well. And I'm actually doing quite a bit of reflecting, maybe more so than a normal interview as I'm talking to you, where I, I think about my coffee every morning, the whole process of it, whether it's the grinding or the heating of the water or the, you know, the brewing process. The idea for me was, and the reason I'm, I love it so much was that meditative kind of like, here's this 15 minutes that is mine that I don't owe anyone else. But I, I'm realizing only right this second that I've sort of gotten away from that with this roast West coast effort, because I'm kind of constantly working during that 15 minutes now, whether it's trying a new coffee or thinking about the show and maybe I need to make a more concerted effort to take back that 15 minutes in the morning. It's, it's that routine. Yeah. I mean, as a roaster, it's my job to put the best cup of coffee in front of you and you don't have to worry about that. But then it's, it's your job as a consumer to create that experience. Um, when I wake up in the morning, that first 15 minutes of the m- my morning is all about, well, first my dog, he gets fed. Um, <laughs> and then I make my coffee and I just sit and that's it. That's the best 15 minutes of my day. It's great. I wanted to ask you a little bit about kind of your philosophy and when it comes to sourcing and roasting, roasting, excuse me, and kind of by extension, leading your business, you just mentioned something um, about how it's your job as a roaster to put the best coffee in front of you. How are you going about sourcing your products and what is kind of your, your ethos behind that, uh, behind that effort? Because there's certainly a lot of places you can get coffee beans in the world and there are a lot of reasons to buy from one place or another. What, what are yours? Yes. And this is one of the benefits of getting into this industry 20 years ago where you create these connections and these friendships with people. And I want to say that I only buy coffee from small farms and I go visit them and see what they're doing. That's very, very romantic. But in reality, I live way up in Alaska and it's expensive to get to those places. So how do you do both? Uh, Eventually, yes, I will travel. I will go to these places and and see them. But for now, I work with smaller brokers. Um, I work with people that I trust and know who I like and let them do the the diligence to um, go after those things that I see um, and that I want. And they, they know me. So they can get eyes and they can get touch and feel. And when the time is right for me to get there, then I'll go do that. Here, I do things a little bit differently with the green coffee and I'm constantly getting different coffees in. And I do that on purpose. I treat it like produce. 
it's part of that training or education rather than here's coffee, just drink it. It's like, man, every bag that I get is different. Um, every time it enters my facility, I take it through a protocol of roasting all these samples and letting it choose how it's going to be roasted rather than a medium or a light or a heavier roast. Um, so I, I switch it up. Um, we, we see you can get a bag from the same farm year after year after year, and it is constantly changing. So we treat it that way. How has your uh, roastery been received in the region? The idea that you're presenting uh, maybe an elevated craft coffee. Uh, you said Alaskans are in general passionate about coffee and there's coffee carts kind of all over coffee kiosks rather being a craft coffee roaster. And I use that word craft, not necessarily to say better, uh, although I do believe that to, to a, for a lot of extents, but but more that you are actually the person who is handling the beans, as you just mentioned, you're roasting them and sampling them. It's like a, it's it's a craft crafted product that you're creating and giving out. What has that response been like for you, and how have people adapted to this new idea of coffee that you're presenting? It's been very positive, and our our community has always been behind the craft beer scene. So they understand it and they can see it. And once you wrap your brain around that, it's like, oh, okay, this is just an extension of that, uh, retraining the palate and, and doing, doing those things. So very, very positive. I push the education side. So we do classes. We kind of shut that down with COVID as well. So that was a disappointment where I was just getting rolling. It's like, okay, well, we'll, we'll do it again. Uh, so now we're bringing in some more private group tastings. And again, not so much a cupping education classes, more like sensory development, more, okay, let's, everybody has a totally different palate from, yes, I can taste all these really cool flavors that you say are in the coffee to, yeah, I'm not getting any of that. So how do you find that, that middle ground? Um, we just take step, a step backwards and let's, Let's go to the fundamentals. Can you can you taste this? Yes. No. Kind of in that direction. Sure. And I think that's one of the reasons I try not to review coffees as a rule, or at least not publicly, because everyone does have a different palate. And the person that I was five years ago tasting a coffee is a totally different person uh, than I am today with a little bit more practice. And so there's something to be said for producing products that people like. And, and that can be difficult when you're talking about an entire community. I, I'm wondering, what do you have planned for the future of of not just declination, but it seems like you have other projects in the works. There's kind of a, it says brewing on your website and coming soon, which I feel like is a tease. And then I saw a declination studios, Instagram pop up. What are, what other projects do you have in relation to coffee that you're working on? I feel like I, I'm always moving and shaking. I'm never <laughs> quite in one place. I'm almost ready to relaunch a brand new website. So that was an old site that I haven't been able to touch in a long time. Um, so all of those brewing guides and coming soon things will change. Um, as far as the studio goes, I've taken the whole back end of my warehouse and turned it into a ceramic studio. 
and we are going to get ready to launch a ceramic subscription program. So you basically can show up and you can get a mug and a bag of coffee. And it all goes back to that experience. Um, take your coffee home if you want me to show you how to make it, how I make it. You can change that up. But it's, it's all part of that big, big picture. That combined with more teaching. Uh, if I'm doing ceramics, I might as well start teaching art again and we'll work with kids and teaching, teach some kids ceramic programs. I uh, have a couple in the works right now. So again, back to really trying to get people to that first step into doing whatever they love, whatever their purpose is, be it coffee, be it art, be it outside, anything. It doesn't really matter to me. So that that's our next direction. With the ceramics effort, I have to know, what is your favorite style of vessel to drink out of? I think for a long time, especially for people on the go, there's this push for double wall steel, which is great for keeping things hot, but isn't necessarily my personal favorite for drinking out of. How do you feel that the ceramic mugs versus a glass or versus something else, do you think that impacts flavor? And, and if so, you know, where do you, what is your favorite and why? It absolutely impacts flavor. And the best way to test that is make coffee and put it in all three. Drink them all at the same time. My favorite method is a small ceramic cup. It goes back to coffee and tasting has a flavor point when it's really hot and when it's cold. Um, it's the life of the coffee. And if you are tasting out of a smaller cup, you get that full spectrum of that life. And if you make a pot of coffee, you drink it once, you go back and you can start it all over. So with a with one pot of coffee, you can live that coffee life uh, three, four times with a smaller cup. Um, that excites me. Sometimes it tastes bad, dark or hot. It goes different directions. This idea of drinking on the go, I kind of pause that. Um, I like ceramics because they're here. They're right now. They don't leave my shop. They don't leave my house. They go where they, they stay in those places. So I'm usually not really drinking coffee when I'm driving. If I go outdoors, um, I'm, I'll make it there. So I'll bring all my equipment and make it wherever I'm at and take that pause. That's interesting because then you're making a choice that it's worth the extra weight to carry. Uh, which is something I think about as a hiker, to do it on site because of the experience that you'll get out of it, as opposed to giving up the weight and the, for the convenience to maybe have a lesser experience. Oh, yeah. I'll cut weight on all other corners when I'm backpacking, but don't touch my coffee equipment. <laughs> <laughs> what are you taking on a backpacking? Uh, what, are you, what, what are you brewing out of? I just do a pour over. So I've got a silicone pop-up pour over. Um, I've tried all sorts of methods, and this is the easiest way for cleanup, uh, the easiest way to just get it done. I have a little pocket rocket stove um, and paper filters, and those paper filters go right back in a little Ziploc bag when I take them, take them back with those grinds. What about, uh, are you grinding on site as well, or are you pre-grinding? Yeah, I usually bring a hand grinder. I've got a little plastic Hario hand grinder, so I will, I, that's about the heaviest thing that I have. And it comes with me all the time. Every once in a while, 
I will pre-grind and I suffer, but again, <laughs> it is what it is. Depends on where I'm going. Depends on what I'm doing. Um, if I'm going fast, if I have the time, what, what that experience is for me. Sure. Oh, well, I commend you on the effort. I have to know how much work does Fitz actually do? Fitz is your dog, I believe. <laughs> Fitz is my dog. Fitz has the most important job. He will come to the shop with me and his patience level isn't like mine. So we'll get 45 minutes in and then he will remind me that we need to go home, that we need to go outside, <laughs> that we need fed. Um, so he's this, hey, it's not all about work. He is hilarious. I wish you would work a little bit more. Uh, we actually just hooked him up. And when I did the first couple of deliveries, I let him pull me on my bike. So he, he's my turbo on my bike. Um, he loves it. <laughs> It's always good. A shop dog is always uh, something wel welcome. We are fostering a uh, a big lab pointer something mix, and I don't know how he did it. I was in this podcast studio, which is in my closet, and he somehow opened the door and jammed his head in during an interview yesterday. And he's just like, "Hey, like it's been a half hour. Like, let's go. Uh, we need to do something." So, the last. Uh, I shouldn't say that, that, not the last question, but I'm wondering if there's anything I didn't cover today or I didn't ask you about uh, DCR that you'd like people to know. Pretty much just go out and do what you love. That's it's Everything's really basic. Drink good coffee. Try different coffees. So we get stuck in this like, oh, they're the best. I'm like, well, what about these guys over here? What about these guys over here? I drink other people's coffees all the time. There, there are people doing things with coffee that I never will. Same as I will do things with coffees nobody else will. And I think that's fabulous. So just keep tasting. Are you sh currently shipping coffee outside of your region? Yeah, we do all online sales. So anything that's coming through, I uh, put up on my website and you can order directly out of here. Uh, you can also do a subscription out of our, our place as well. Very cool. Um, and I'll make sure that I'm linking to all of those things uh, in the podcast and in the show notes and on the newsletter. The last question I do ask everyone is that when you are out and about and you're trying someone else's coffee, what what is it that you're drinking or what is it that you're ordering for yourself? I'm looking more for, more for a fruit berry style coffee, um, something different. I used to, people ask me, what's your favorite coffee? And I would always say, oh, an Ethiopian. Oh, an African. Um, I'm slowly changing. So it's more, that that's what my brain wants to say. But what's happening is if I'm drinking a coffee that I can't quite figure out, that's my favorite cup of coffee. If I can't get those notes down or there's something in there that are like, wow, it may not necessarily be something I really like. It's just a complex flavor that I can't name. That's my favorite. I, I suppose it's a learning. It's a curiosity of it. Um, I'm finding that in a lot of Sumatrans lately, a lot of Kenyans. Yeah, it's just fun. Whatever puts a smile on my face, that's what I'm drinking. Well, I can certainly appreciate that. I know that the coffee that I that is my favorite is the coffee that's in my mug right now, usually. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's the most important coffee that I'm going to have. I really appreciate you taking time to be here on the show. I think it's exciting that 
coffee can connect people across great distances. Um, it's one of the things I love about coffee, not just from me to me uh, in on the south part of the West Coast to you in the north, but to us around the world talking about coffee. And I just really appreciate you being here. Yeah, well, thank you for the opportunity. I was really excited when you when you sent that email. I thought it was really interesting that Hollis's skill as a welder is what really tipped him over the edge into a life of coffee. What if he had never learned how to do that in art school? Where would he be right now? We'll obviously never know, but it is a great reminder that there are so many throwaway moments that occur throughout the day in our life, and any one of them could be the pivot moment that we look back on as a turning point, or at least a part of a combination of events that lead to something so much more than you expected. For example, 20 plus years ago, I got a seasonal job at Old Navy in the mall. One day when I was taking a nap behind a rack of jeans, I was woken up by this beautiful woman, who later became my wife. What are the odds? Eight years ago, I hosted a bicycle ride for charity. My now friend and coffee sensei, Chris O'Brien, who you know as one of the coffee smarter experts on this show, was the very first person to show up. What are the odds of that? And, just two years ago, the world shut down due to a scary, unknown, unseeable virus. And the job that I thought I'd be going to every day disappeared. For some reason, I thought I should fill my time making this podcast. Which led us to the conversation you just heard with Hollis, way up there in Alaska. What are the odds? As I re-listened to this show, and was editing out the occasional ums or awkward gaps when the internet was being less than stellar, I stopped near the end when Hollis talked about his favorite coffee being the one he couldn't figure out, the one that challenged him. Coffee is one of, if not the most, complex beverages on earth. There are more than 800 flavor and aromatic compounds found in coffee. It's one of the reasons the flavor wheel is so valuable during the tasting process. For comparison, wine has only about 200 identifiable compounds. That complexity is one of the reasons it's so difficult to become an accredited Q grader. I mentioned earlier that Hollis sent me some coffee. In the care package was a Kenya and Ethiopia and one bag just labeled blind tasting. I sampled those beans as a pour over and as a French press and at various ratios of water to grounds. And while I'm not an expert taster, I came back to Hollis with the flavor note of raisin being the most dominant from the bag of beans labeled blind tasting. And he said I nailed it on the head, which made me feel pretty damn good. Looking back on it, I really enjoyed the challenge of it too. Even though the coffee from Kenya was my favorite based on flavor alone, I had a lot more fun tasting the unlabeled sample. When it comes to coffee, I encourage you to lean into the challenge of drinking with a little bit more intention to see if there is something more there than you might think. There is a lot more I could talk about today related to the interview, including coffee setups outdoors and why dogs are the best animal to have a cup of coffee with. But it is how coffee connects us that resonates and how I want to close out the show today. I spent more than a few mornings this week, as I imagine so many have, watching and reading about the Russian invasion of Ukraine. I've been inspired by the Ukrainian people, appalled and angered by the violent, greedy invasion, and the loss of life in yet another war that seems pretty unjust. Humans have gotten pretty good at killing each other. After two years and a deadly pandemic, you'd think we'd be over that impulse by now. There are enough things in the world that we can fight against together, instead of each other. This show stands with Ukraine, which, obviously it does. 
and I do, as an emotion. But I don't know what that means in terms of action yet. This morning, after reading the news, I ordered a stainless steel spatula from Walmart, which felt pretty messed up, and it left me feeling pretty helpless. But also, we needed a new spatula, and they had one. I don't know the best way to support the people of Ukraine from afar, other than to keep the focus on what they are going through right now, and possibly sending aid in the form of a donation to one of the incredible humanitarian groups that are there on the ground. NPR put together a list of organizations to potentially support, which I'll link to in the show notes and on the website. And if you find yourself appreciating this show, or appreciating your coffee experiences more because of it, and you decide to sign up for a paid subscription to the Roast West Coast Coffee Newsletter, this week I'll donate 100% of the proceeds to one of those aid groups. If you know of other ways to support the people of Ukraine, or aid groups that you think do great work, feel free to shoot me a message on Instagram, at Roast West Coast. That's all for today's show. Thank you to our industry partners, Café La Terre, Moster Coffee Company, Coffee Cycle Roasting, Leap Coffee, Zumbar Coffee and Tea, Morea Coffee, Steady State Coffee Roasting, Camp Coffee Company, Cape Horn Coffee Importers, and First Light Whiskey. If you're looking for a job in coffee, Café La Terre just posted barista and shop management opportunities for their newest location in Encinitas, California. And I've started a coffee jobs thread on the website roastwestcoast.com. You can find the tab at the top. As a reminder, I'll see you all at Zumbar Coffee and Tea in Cardiff next week, Friday, March 11th, right across from the Patagonia store. I'll have the microphone set up, and if you stop by, I'll hopefully get a chance to chat with you about why you love coffee, why you love this show, or why you don't. I'll be there from 9 to 11 a.m. Thank you to everyone for subscribing and listening. Siri Simran Kulsa, the executive director of Lofty Coffee, is back for the next Coffee Smarter episode. We catch up and dig into flavor development during the roasting process. This episode of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast is, was, has been, written, produced, and recorded by me, Ryan Wolt. I hope this episode has found you happy, healthy, and with at least enough sanity and coffee to make it through another day. And please, always tip your baristas, and be sure to drink good coffee. Welcome to I Like Beer, the podcast, where we discuss great beers and the stories that go with them. I'm your host, Jeff. And I'm your host, Jeff. We are lucky enough to live in North County, San Diego, a beer mecca within a beer mecca, where it's 72 degrees all year long and there are over 160 breweries within minutes. Weather's nice, the water's warm, the beer is cold, and there are stories to be told. And we believe beer is a drink for friends, for sharing a laugh, telling a tale or two, and for contemplating life and how to live it. We're not your ordinary beer pod, so grab a beer, pull up a bar stool, and join us for a few laughs. You can find us wherever you get your pods, and also on Instagram and Facebook at I Like Beer the Podcast, as well as on Twitter or our website, I Like Beer the Podcast.com. Looking forward to having you join us. Cheers. As a matter of fact, I love beer. <laughs>